let's get this uh, party cracking. There's a couple things that's been running through my mind. A couple of conversations I've been having with quite a few people. And so I'm going to start this with a thought. Uh, here's a thought. If Jesus was here today, would he be a Democrat or a Republican? Or would he be an independent? What do you think? I yield to the lady. <laughs> Aren't you a gentleman? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Jesus was entitled. Um, honestly, I don't think that he fall in any of those categories. I think he does have, if we just look at it from a textual perspective, I think he does have, you know, just qualities of basically all three. If you look at it from a democratic perspective, yeah, he, he is all for making sure that everybody has an equal playing field. He's making sure that people are fed. He's making sure that people are healed. He's making sure that people are sheltered. He's making sure that, you know, the government does their job. But he's also the one that turns the tables over. He's also the one that doesn't agree with a lot of big government stuff. So I don't think that he will fall in any of those categories. I don't think he would be all the way independent. I don't think he would be completely Republican. And I surely don't think he will be all the way Democrat. One, there's no issues that he can deal with that we deal with today. There was no abortions that in which the, the Republicans say, you know, we should not do their toll against. There was no evangelical walk of life that he had back then that they walked from a conservative perspective. Jesus by far was not conservative. We know that Jesus could be very radical. So I don't think he fits in a category. And I think that that's probably um, how some millennials feel. Um, that they don't fit in any category. And that's mm. the reason why we millennials, they don't vote one way every year, every four years. And we would see them vote different ways. If you look at, you know, statistics, it does not show that they're always, they vote all the way down the line Democratic. They don't vote all the way Republican. Sometimes they may even vote independent. It just depends. So I don't think that Jesus would fall in any category at all. What do you think, Matt? Fresh out of with your Masters of Divinity? Uh, I don't believe... No, I, Jesus would not be a Democrat or Republican. And I think that uh, it would be very difficult to convince me that he shared many qualities with them. Um, with um, my uh, co-panelist, uh, Libya, I think that it was a very rosy picture that she painted of the Democratic Party. Um, I don't believe that they do any of those things. Um, however, I would like to point out something uh, that I'm just going to read from Scripture about the early church. This is from Acts 2, verses 44 and 45. Is this early church? Is this Jesus? This is the early church. So this is after Jesus has ascended? Yes. So this wouldn't include Jesus? Okay, well... I'm wondering if I can speak so I can make okay, the I'm point just making I a statement. I'm just making a statement. If we're going to do early church, we're going to do early church. If we're going to do Jesus, we got to do Jesus. Yeah. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh, I think that this is an adequate reflection of Jesus's ministry. And if we're looking at community, and the things that Jesus valued, he'd be far left of Democrats or Republicans. 
And one of the early manifestations of this, I would say, is the early church. So I think that that's where um, I might disambiguate the issues, because I'm saying this is a reflection of Jesus' ministry and his words. All right. Well, Ron, what you got? First of all, I think that's a fantastic question. I really do. That's that's that is a pretty good question, and uh, I'm so glad that you have way better qualified people to go before me because I had to sit here and think and get my pulse down a little bit. <laughs> but now this breathing exercise, I got my heart rate down. My my response to that is this, and I've I've had this response in times past. We humans are very arrogant in our finiteness, meaning we continue to play the game where we think we can get God into something that we have created. We have to continue to understand. We have a finite capacity for understanding. He is infinite. So whenever we come up with anything, it will automatically have a limit. Jesus, all God and all man, lived as a man, but functioned fully as God. So he has an unlimited capacity to see all the way from the beginning all the way to the end. There is no way he could have been wrapped into any category that we could have created at any point in time, at any time in human history. I get there's a lot of scriptural evidence to point one way or the other. I I get all that. And and I totally respect that. But the problem that we get into, which that's why I say it's a great question, because I think what's happening is a lot of us are trying to answer that question as we go about doing things. And we go out and say, well, we think he'd do this and so we do that. Or we think he'd do that, and so we could do that. Or we think he'd love the unlovable or, or save us. And we go out and do stuff, and we got to understand, he's not hes not limited like we are. We have a limited capacity of understanding. So as soon as we start to say we believe he would agree with X, we've already now limited him to the maximum capacity that X can hold. And I, I don't think we can ever do that, because I, I just don't, I don't believe we could ever put him in any category that we would have that we place on ourselves because it automatically comes with a cap because it's a human created category. Gotcha. So, I'm glad that you answered before me. Gotcha. And I got to uh, Bro, Josh, put a cap on it for us. What do you think? Okay. I, I don't really want to answer the question. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. Because, uh, just being straightforward, I don't feel like he would even be involved in anything that, that we would have any type of structure system that we call structure that clearly doesn't work. But um, that's another story. But um, yeah, I don't think he would even participate at all anyway. You know, it's something that's beyond him. The reason, the reason why I, I broached this question is because if we think about this in the sense in which at least I hear it, you've got evangelicals and then you've got the basic basic black church or Christian situation. And the evangelicals have a a propensity for ingraining what they believe Christ would do. And based upon what they think he would do, then therefore their candidate has to be or would be that person that um, materializes and makes that a reality. And to some degree, I think we also do that in the black church. I think in the black church, um, the reason why we're the black church is because we were kind of like rem- uh, pushed out and away from quote unquote the white church 
which gives us the ideology that we're all supposed to be together, united as one quote unquote beloved community. But yet and still, when we talk about church, we seem to put that on a spiritual plane. But when we talk about politics, which we often do, we then put that on a civic plane. So then our civic and our spiritual collide. And when that happens, I wonder then what does it mean when Jesus said to the disciples in this same vein, render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render unto God what is God. So how does the politic of religion comes into the politic of the world? Somebody help me understand that. Well, I think we operating with you. Gotta, I think we got to look at it from a perspective that there is spiritual law and there's civic law. And so when, when you think about that in, in the spiritual sense of spiritual law, as we see it, what you just said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Um, also pray for our leadership, pray, pray for uh, the government, pray for administration. That's our, that's our spiritual quote unquote law. And then we deal with the civic law, which deals with the full gamut of politics and government. But it does not mean that we cannot operate in, in both spectrums. And so I think that's where we get confused with this because a lot of people want to take it. And, and yes, separation of church, but they also forget the fact that you can say separate, separation of church all you want to, separate church and state all you want to. There's still, a, there's still going to be a cross there's still going to be some way that we're going to cross each other because there is a spiritual law of component in which quote unquote, we as Christians operate and that, and that's what the evangelicals perspective is when they want to play the card. Uh, the card is say, for instance, that's still with Trump from an evangelical perspective. Their card is we ought to not dog out this leader. We ought not talk about this leader. We ought not complain about what this leader is doing. We ought to pray for this leader. Now, do they do that for every president? Absolutely not. We don't hear that coming out of that platform. But that's pretty much how they operate from that spiritual law and then that civic law. So yeah, they want a candidate that quote unquote in their eyes looks like them, that believes in, like I said before, uh, they're you know, against abortion, who are not, you know, who are pro-life and not pro-choice. They want persons who are not uh, going to support the LBGTQ community. These are things that they look for from, from that perspective and that their base gets larger because there are, there are people who wants that same kind of thing. There are a lot of black uh, Christians who vote for Republican leaders all on the basis of some of the things that Republic, Republican Party represent. And that is the LGBTQ community and that is the uh, pro-life. Those are the main issues that they look at when we talk about that. So we can't we can't get away from that spiritual law and civic law. They so when, so so which one is the weightier? Is is it? Are we going to listen to the spiritual side of of our brains, or do we listen to the civic side? Because the civic side puts our butt in jail. The spiritual side sends us to heaven. So we got to wrestle between the two or do sooner or later we say, no, this is where I'm going. I'm going to rest here because I don't get in trouble. I don't protest because I don't want to go to jail. But then again, my spiritual side says, no, nah, I cannot 
allow this to continue without me speaking for it or without me fighting for it. But if that lines me in jail, mm, then... I don't think it has to be either or. Okay, help me understand. It. I don't think it has to be either or. I don't think it has to be either or because I think Jesus operated that way. I think Jesus operated... Yeah, they crucified him. He abide by... Yeah, sure they did. Mm -hmm. But so, I mean, hey, the protest, who, who operated in both? They went to jail. They got felonies, got misdemeanors. So, so it does not say you have to have either or. Uh, it, you can operate in both. It, look at the people who, who, are, who are now sitting in uh, Ferguson uh, doing a, a, a huge platform piece of protesting and pushing for Breonna Taylor. Most of them are religious leaders. Most of them are black Christian leaders and they are operating in both realms. So what I'm saying is, why does it have to be either or? Who says that? Who says okay. we have to pick a side? Okay. What do you think there, Matt? Pitch comes to you? <laughs> this might be a ball, so let me know what you're about. <laughs> um, but if, if we look through the Bible and try to uh, understand the character of God, I really don't think that there is um, a precedent in the Bible of God saying, Ah, uh, let me stay out of these human affairs. This isn't really my business. Uh, because if you were looking at the book of the prophets, one of the main concerns was with how the leadership was treating the people and oppressing the poor and not taking care of the orphans and widows. When we're looking at Jesus's ministry, you mentioned uh, his quotation on pay, pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God's. We have to look at that in the context of the time. Um, before, before Jesus of Galilee, there was a Judas of Galilee who initiated a movement in which they rejected the census wholeheartedly, the same census that Jesus was born in. And what Judas of Galilee did was burn down anything or anyone's property that uh, participated in the census and gave their cattle to the poor. And he rejected any idea of people giving or paying taxes unto Rome because they were using the money to oppress them. So when Jesus is being asked this same question, what they're trying to do is link him to this non-tolerance movement that would not allow for any type of interaction with the state. This was to trap him and so that they could essentially accuse him of sedition. Jesus was much wiser. And then throughout the time of his ministry, there were constantly riots and things of that nature. It seemed as if Jesus was tactically nonviolent, given the time and like his particular position and moment. But if we're actually looking at the way in which Jesus' movement worked, it was very much about how we interacted with one another and these condemnations Correct. of those in high places who didn't care for those that were oppressed. So I don't think that we can ever separate the political from the spiritual realm because if your view of ultimate reality is not changing how you are interacting with the people and your environment, there's something missing. Gotcha. Josh, you want to tag in or? Yeah, I'm uh, definitely going to tag in on this one. My, my personal opinion is that I don't think that you can really separate the two, but I do feel like at some point you have to, you're going to have to make a decision as to which one really holds moral value 
to your life. And I feel like that's a lot of the, the issues when we're picking our... All right, let me be very blunt. We can't pick our president based off of what their religious beliefs are. If we could, we probably wouldn't have any of the candidates that we have. Let's just be honest. But what I will say is, it makes you hesitant to vote for someone when their morals and their uh, spiritual beliefs don't align with yours. Because at some point, got, they got to make a decision that may go against your beliefs. You know, how do you deal with that? How do you accept that? You know, so in my opinion, maybe you don't have to necessarily pick a side, but eventually you're going to be like, uh, is this the right person? Because of a decision that they're going to have to make. And you may morally make a different decision based off of your religious beliefs, you know, and that's, that's pretty much how I feel about it because a lot of a lot of people, you know, don't believe in war. You know, black there's never a, uh, a need for this, but some other people may feel like there is a need for this. You know, so you just have to pick. I think it's one of those things. It's a fifty-fifty thing. You gotta know when to hold it and know when to fold it because <laughs> you just never know what's gonna come your way. Gotcha, um, Matt. You mentioned something a little while ago. Um, that I, I want to kind of piggyback off um, the idea that it's neither um, and, and I think Josh you also mentioned that Jesus would probably not participate in this um, in this political sphere um, and that's because I think and I could be wrong but I think that's because he's trying to initially get us into right relationship on the vertical plane. And if we if he can get us right on the vertical plane between us and God, us and the spiritual father along with the holy spirit. If we can get this right, then we stand a better chance of the horizontal relationship between our fellow man and fellow brothers and sisters. So the ideal of the beloved community uh, to love thy neighbor as you do thyself, to do good unto them, uh, is that constant cry that I hear through Scripture, Jesus trying to get us to be about doing right for us and to us. But somehow or another, somebody didn't get the message because everybody's not treated justly or fairly, but they hold positions of power and authority over the same people that they continue to denigrate. And the only reason why they hold that power is because a group of people said, hey, we want you because you would do what we want you to do. So subsequently, they're doing to us or whoever the denigrated is, uh, it's being done to them based upon what another group likes and don't want you to be. The whole idea started back from 1619 up until the current time. And yet and still, we've got to answer the question within the black church and talk about systemic racism. We've got to try to figure out how are we supposed to love somebody that's hitting us over the head, that's kneeling on our necks? How are we supposed to deal with all this animosity and hate speech that's going on 
And yet and still, we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters. This is a difficult thing to do and to manage. So what I'm asking is, is the black church asking us to do something that maybe we shouldn't be doing? Maybe it should be, no, do unto you as you do unto me. In the same kind of sense, but we know that that would what? It would cause more violence, more confusion, more separation. So how do we manage what we're hearing in the black church to what they're doing to the people in the black church? You know, there is an interesting fact about Martin Luther King in that, especially during his schooling years, that he believed the Sermon on the Mount were instructions for a specific no, that's one way, uh, but we can also look at Jesus telling Peter to gird himself with a sword, and then Jesus, and then Peter said that he had two, and Jesus said that is enough. I've also read the book of Revelations, and there's a different story. Um, I do think that it's certainly good to love your neighbor, um, but to watch what essentially is an armed occupation of black communities in the United States and not have any recourse whatsoever. I mean, it's dangerous. And what we have to realize is that there are many people that you can love, but you take, but there are also consequences for your actions. Maybe that is the point that we are at in America. I think I don't I think I don't know if, if that is one I don't know if the black church is is telling us to do a certain thing I don't know if we can speak from the perspective of that true as a totality yeah uh, globally yeah right because of how the black church is so multifaceted and it's made up of different um denominations with different tenets I don't think we can actually say that there is a request you know, coming as a clarion call coming directly from the black church. What I do think is that uh, there is a clarion call that's saying uh, that, yes, we want to operate in, in a nonviolent stance. I think that that is the clarion call, and I think that's just because of our history. I think Martin Luther King did it not necessarily because of Jesus, although he believed in, 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 in the ministry of Jesus, but it was, it was Gandhi. Uh, that brought him to the nonviolence movement. So I think the black church is saying this is what has worked for us uh, to show ourselves to be in a certain regard. But at the same time, it does not mean that we need to be silenced and it does not mean that we need to, we don't need to be pushing for different legislation, that we don't need to make sure, you know, that we have mail monitors at the post office and, and, and different politics in place for that. It doesn't mean that we don't try to make sure that people are sitting in the seats of Congress that has you know, our best interests at heart. So I think what we have to see that the black church is probably saying, if we wanna look at it from a totality piece, it's just probably around the nonviolence piece, but it's also about the, around the organization piece. Now, there are black churches that are evangelical, and so they may not align in that space, and, and their call may be totally different. So, yes, it is hard to love thy neighbor in the face of, you know, somebody shooting 
a person seven times or nine times in the back as they're getting in the car after they're breaking up a fight. Surely it is, uh, you know, hard to do that to know that, you know, th those who murdered Breonna Taylor have not been arrested. Yet, love thy neighbor as thyself does not mean that we don't still push for justice. It does not mean that we lay down and be walked over. So I think that we have a responsibility as a black church, we have a responsibility as Christians, and we have a responsibility just as individuals who had who have any uh, moral compass to ensure that we get out and do what we can to ensure that we can touch at least one person that touches the next person and that we can get involved. And so to me, it's not enough to be quiet. I think what I have an issue is, is when the black church is not saying anything. Uh, the black church is very solid. When I see colleagues who are preachers of mine from different uh, denominations who are not putting, who, who won't even post anything, who is constantly posting about, you know, running around the church and speaking in tongues and dancing around or doing whatever. And we're not talking about the fact that there is a huge injustice going on. And so to me, when the black church is not saying anything, that's the real issue. That is, to me, is not loving thy neighbor, because we have we have just left our neighbor. There is no way that Jesus will operate that way. He would not stand by, and he would not sit tight and say, "Oh, it'll get better in the sweet by and by." No, he wouldn't do that. I think he would step in. I think he would again, as I said before, turn over the tables and say, "This is just not right." Okay, so this that I'm glad you said that because this dovetails into my next question. That oftentimes. Um, I have conversations with so many of my young adults about this ideal of the black agenda. All right. So now, um, based on the current political climate of the day, what must the black church do to continue to be relevant? If we're not talking about the black agenda, so that we might be able to improve or ameliorate the current political climate and the spiritual conditions that's happening in America. Do we really need a black agenda? Does the, does the black church need to have a black agenda or do we need to have some kind of agenda that deals with the political staleness or stifledness or to a lack the better off care for what's happening to not only the black church but the people in the black church? Do we need a black agenda? I'm going to tackle it like, like this, and I think this is a pretty fair way to tackle it. I don't necessarily say that the black church needs to have a black agenda just for the church. You know, the church is for the people, you know. So with that being said, the, the, the church, especially the black church, need to have an agenda for the black people, for, for the community, for the people as a whole. You know, you don't want to just solely focus on the church itself. You know, and not only that, the, the, to add to that, a lot of the issues that a lot of the millennials are having with the church is the fact that they feel a disconnect with the church. That's a big problem. You know, so if you had an a agenda for the people, you would be finding ways to reach the people. You can't tell someone about Jesus or God or about the church or about whatever you believe in if you can't reach them and get them to listen to you. So you have to be able to connect with the people. You know, and as far as the Black Lives Movement matter, you know, they need to have an agenda. 
can't just protesting is all fine and well. But if I'm protesting in Colorado and uh, Miss Libya is protesting in Florida and Matthew's protesting in New York, but we all have different agendas, what are we really protesting for? What are we trying to accomplish? There has to be some sort of direction and overall agenda that we're trying to get accomplished. If it's to remove Trump out of office, then make it known. If it's to change the laws that aren't justly fair for the African-American people, then make it known. You know, whatever the agenda is that's affecting the people, not just the church, but the people, then that's what needs to be made known. Matt, what you think? The black agenda and the black church. Does that really ameliorate the situation?
And I think that's what the big push is. The, the push is that we're not going to just sit there and give you our vote. We've seen it with, you know, uh, some of these celebrities who've come out. We've seen it with, you know, on a certain uh, uh, podcast, uh, The Bre- Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. uh, that whole mm-hmm. incident. There is going to have to be a different uh, factor in, in, in trying to, to get the vote of the black community because we have, uh, some of us feel like we have not seen the Democratic Party do as much for us as they should other than the fact they know that we're going to save, we're going to be the savior vote. And that's problematic. So I think in terms of what you were saying, Matt, there has to be some kind of agenda, but that agenda needs to include that we are, we have a seat at the table. now. We're not just going to sit back and push the cart that we have to be part of that whole um, process of change. So here, here's part of here. I'm going to let you come. I'm going to come to you, Matt, just a second, but I want us to think about this for a minute because it seems like sometimes we cut our nose off to spite our face because oftentimes we don't have the candidate that we like or want, but that person, and in this case, let's just just be honest, in this case, we've got Biden and Harris. The question is, can we stand another four years of Trump and Pence? So a lot of times, from a political spectrum, we're not voting for somebody to come in and do what we're supposed to do. We're fighting to get the person out that's in there now because we don't like him or, or what they're doing or their policies. So what happens is we become disenchanted. A lot of my young brothers and sisters that I talk to are disenchanted, and I hear them say all the time, I ain't voting because it don't matter. I'm voting because look at what it gets us. I ain't voting because I don't care because it's not going to change anything anyways. And on the flip side, we got the more, mm, let's say, um, beloved community-sensitive people that say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to go through this process. We've got to go through the voting process. We've got to do, the, you know, our, our foremothers and forefathers died for this right for us to vote. And they're going, vote for what? What are we voting for? All I want to know is, is it going to help me? If it's not going to help me, I ain't got nothing to do with it. Right now, do you realize that 30% of, of millennials from the ages of 18 to 29 voted last in 2016? 30%, less than 30%. And that was just a simple matter of, well, we don't like Hillary, uh, so we might as well give him a chance. Well, I, I, think, it, I think it was a twofold. Um, and, and I say this because I, you, you, have, you have those who say my vote don't matter. That's, that's, a, that's another group. But you also have those who, who are strong on the social justice platform. And strong on the um, uh, the Bernie kind of uh, platform that's that's very uh, liberal and, and wanting to see a certain kind of change. So those that that group of persons, I wouldn't say that they will fall in the non-voters. Uh, they may not like the candidate that's that's there, but the ones that you're speaking of, the ones that my vote don't matter. These are people who are fickle voters anyway. Yeah, but see, and but not only, but not only that though. No, so, no, 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 just a second, just a second, because with the Bernie people, some I've heard some of the Bernie. I, I, I know quite a few of them, and they say no, no. yeah, 
But the, I, the idea that's being passed around in that circle is that since I didn't get Bernie, I'm not voting. But I've heard it that way. Here's what I'm saying. That's not all of the Bernie voters. That's a mm. set of the Bernie, Bernie voters. Mm. Yeah, that's I'm the what? The that's the I effect? The I see the table plenty of it. I'm telling you. It's not all of the Bernie voters. It's a segment of oh, the... Oh, segment. Okay. From the Hillary perspective. You're right. I, I don't disagree. But what I'm saying to you, when we're talking about those people who say, I'm not going to vote. My vote don't matter. Uh, it don't count anyway. These are these are people. If you go back and pull their voting history, they didn't vote every ele election. They weren't people that ever voted in every election. Even when it was down to you know, not even just when we're in this situation where we got to get this person in the office, quote unquote. They didn't vote anyway. Why? They, Why? But but because that's that's the thing. Some of them a are not educated on on voting at all. My nephew is one. My nephew is one. I live in an urban community. I live in a community where that, you know, uh, it's going through gentrification. Oh, this is the hood where I live. These people don't understand voting. They don't They don't have the background. Grandmama didn't give it to them. Mama didn't give it to them. So, but when I have a conversation with if you or a person's like him, then it's an aha moment. You, one thing you gotta understand, they sit in schools that don't give them the background and education on why voting is, is important for black people. They don't give them that when they sit in school. When they sit in urban community schools, they're not giving them that. These are people who didn't go to college and meet other people and learn and become educated in different ways. So that's where the church job is. No, yeah. The church needs to go into the communities and yeah, they need thank to you. with persons like that instead of having a, 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 a church building in the hood and never go into the hood. Thank you. So why they don't have that information. Thank so you. the people who said don't matter is because grandma made them go to the polls and they voted at one time and turned on TV and said, my candidate can win. That's why I don't vote. So then when you begin to tell them the importance of voting and why it is important, then it changes the game. It changes completely. So I think we gotta we, we, we can't fold them into the same uh, boat. We gotta look at it as two boats and we gotta figure out how do we work and, and, and help push whatever the agenda is with both boats. But one thing I know for sure, I don't see the black church, the black preachers walking these streets, hey, get, trying to get people registered to vote, Educating them on why it, why it is important to vote. I don't. We'll see if there's something for them to gain out of it. Then they'll be there. Ooh. And, ooh. I didn't mean to interrupt like that, but I could. Uh, <laughs> ooh. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it like this. You know, we we were. Let the choice, Amen. <laughs>
brings about that question, hey, do our vote really count? Does it really matter? Look at the uh, previous presidential election. Trump lost the vote. The popular vote. The popular vote. You know, it's like, hey, all that plays into our mind when we were taught to be free, strong thinkers and think outside the box. You know, we were, it was implemented in our brains that you always think outside the box, not get trapped in that box. So now that the generations after us are coming up into their early 20s and mid-20s, we're like, hey, y'all are just radical, you know? In our mind, we're like, y'all are radical. Y'all are out of control. That's not how you're supposed to be. But a lot of us, we will vote if we're presented with the right information. We're information people. If the information is right, it, it has to be appealing. And I know it's kind of hard with politics sometimes to be appealing, but... Uh, Joe Biden didn't have a problem with finding a way to be a pillar. He made sure he got him a African-American sister tied to a sorority and everything else and it made him look magnificent. Now, whether he, he, he can do... He got a campaign manager. So there you go. There you go. So let's... He was smart. It's a, 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 a smart move as far as marketing and everything else because now everybody's paying attention to him. The ones that weren't for him, that was for Bernie Sanders, i.e. me, because Bernie didn't mind getting out there with the millennials, getting out there with the community. He would go everywhere and integrate with the people. That's something that's been missing. Barack Obama didn't even do that. You know, so in my opinion, yes, there has to be something more there for the millennials to make them. Because we understand politics, we understand that you need to vote, but a lot of us won't vote because we understand that, hey, even if we vote for uh, Joe Biden, and what if Trump steal the election again? <laughs> what do you mean steal it again? So what if it happens again? You know, we're stuck with them for another four years. So it, it's not even about policy because they can say that, hey, we're going to do all this for you, and then they get in office and they won't do nothing for you. Because honestly, I haven't heard Joe Biden or uh, Camilla Harris say anything that they're actually going to do for the African-American people yet. But I don't want to get into that. That's no, 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 but that's okay. That's okay. Because that's this is the part that I'm talking about, right? That This is what I'm saying, right? So if, if, now, let me, let me, let me back up just a minute. We had Barack Obama, the first African-American president. Eight years. And out of the eight years, I heard everything from the fact that, and even now with Trump, because he blames everything on, on Obama, because uh, that should have been fixed. So he's supposed to walk into office and everything be shiny and new. Right? But, right? But they say Barack Obama became president because he unified the people. He had a larger base that was supporting him. Now, if Barack Obama comes in, and then all of a sudden with this base of support turns and starts doing things that are only for the black community like our current president does for his particular group of people then we might turn around and say well he's just he's he's just a black president he's not the president of the United States he's the president of black people right 
Or, and then you got the black people saying, well, you know, he's not black enough. He's got to be black. They say that right now about Kamala Harris. She's not black enough. So if they're either not black enough or they're not doing enough for blacks, but when they do something for blacks, then they get pointed out as being not Americans, not for all Americans, but for black America. So now, and it goes, now listen, it goes all the way down the ballot this way. I've heard it from almost every ballot position. If there's an African-American of any substance work, it even goes that way for black preachers. Right? If it's not something, I'm telling you, if it's not, you're either too much, you're either too strong of a black, or you're not strong enough of a black. So sooner or later, so this, and this is what brought this ideal of the quote-unquote black agenda, right? It's this ideal of, okay, well, we know that we've been disenfranchised. We know that we've been left out. We know we've been discriminated against. And we want our peace and our seat at the table. It's a general call. We all know that. But when that happens, then we've got to be able to say, hey, we recognize that not only is he doing it for us as a people, but he's got to be doing it for everybody. It's the beloved community. And if the community that needs help gets help, there's nothing wrong with that. There's some black folks in this country right now, listen, they don't need no help. They need to get out and help other people. But what we do, the ones that need help, we're sitting there looking and going, well, you're not helping me, so I'm not voting. You're not helping me, so I'm not doing this. You don't have a black agenda. I haven't heard you talk about what you're going to do for me. So sooner or later, we've got to have some type of self-initiative, self-responsibility, self-sufficiency to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, whatever bootstraps we got, those who got bootstraps. And if you don't got bootstraps, then the ones that do, you got to reach back and help pull them up along too. But when that happens, that's just what you're supposed to do. Not because you're black. You're supposed to do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Help out the beloved community. So I don't think, I don't think we ever get away from that. That, that, that would always, that's going to always be the issue and it's not going to have, it, it won't go away. I mean, even, you know, with Jesus, when uh, the lady that, uh, I think it was Samaritan woman in the Bible that. At the well? No, not at the well. Um, I think she was Samaritan, may have not. I, I, can, I might be getting across it, but I do remember that uh, he wouldn't healed her and she said even the dogs that eat the crumbs under the table. Yeah. So I think. It, 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 you, we, we're going to always have uh, that issue of not doing enough, not for the black uh, male or female, black enough, not representing the black community, but not doing enough for the black community. Then, you know, we, we can't, we, that's something we cannot wrestle with. It's going to always be the issue. I think what we have to nail down is uh, who would be the closest with what we have to getting to what we need. And I think ah. with that being said, we just we just have to operate in that vein. And I, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing with, with the millennials and young adults. There's a lot of them who are getting in position to run for office. They are at the forefront of every movement that is going on. They, they're the forefront of the protest. They're the forefront of keeping everything going against these killings of, of, of African-American women and men they are traveling around the country. They are free spirit. 
and they're not locking down to any type of even jobs because they're getting in front of this. And so I think we're seeing a different, uh, different uh, uh, agenda altogether than what, what, than what was with a John Lewis or anybody else. But I do think they take some of what John Lewis had. As a matter of fact, if we think about even under Barack Obama's administration, he, John Lewis, and even uh, Al Sharpton and others, they sat down with African-American young leaders who was the next riders in the movement. And, those, and this was years ago. And some of them were still in college. But guess what? They are the ones that are organizing right now. They are the ones that's doing these heavy movement and pushing. And they are the ones that's getting in front of everything, even, even working behind the scene at the DNC. And so that's how you got one that's heading up Biden's campaign. So I think we're seeing something different. And, and, and a lot of them, guess what? We're Bernie supporters. <laughs> they, they, they got their movement shoes and their grassroots kind of thinking under the Bernie regime. And they're now putting it to work now. And so Biden and uh, Kamala Harris are going to have to deal with that. They're going to bring in some of those views so that they can keep them. So they can keep them on that same playing field. It's not going to be enough just to, for them. For them, it's not going to be enough to get Trump just to get Trump out of office. That's their agenda. Uh, but, but that's all of the agenda. We do and want we, that though, right? We have to do some different work here. We have to do some <laughs> different work. And I'm telling you right now, this new generation of leaders and this new generation who have taken the mantle and who are doing a great job, we got to get behind them. We need to start some their organization, donating to the organization, getting involved, researching, joining them any way possible that we can, and we need to root them on because they will be the ones that will change the game. They will be the ones that will be the different, uh, uh, the change agent, the different factors. They will be the one that will change the game. It's not going to be people my age. I'm going to be behind them. I'm going to support them, and I have reached out to many of them and told them I am with you, whatever I can do, let me know. I've donated to a lot of it. I've made myself available. I've been, you know, present and vocal, but here again, we can't expect them to do what we did, you know, years ago. We can't expect them just to hop on a democratic train because here again, they, they're not boxed in. They're not boxed in to Democratic Republic or independent. They want to know what are you going to do? And do we have a seat at the table? They're not playing. They're not passive. And they're not timid. They have tenacity. They have determination. And they're not going to sit back and, and watch the abuse of their people. They're not going to sit back and see how there, there is economic disparity. They're not going to sit back and watch these policies and laws continue. They're going to push for change. They're going to get in front of the Congress. They're going to write letters. They're going to knock down governor's doors. If we want to get in, 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 in a part of any agenda, there is agenda already out there. The problem is some of us are still stuck in our traditional ways of doing things, just like we are doing things. It's stuck in our traditional ways of doing church. We don't come to change easily, but, but the truth of the matter is we're in the middle of COVID. There's no big you know, rallies. There's no, we're not campaigning all over the place where we can have these big rallies and bring on all these uh, name uh, entertainers and X, Y, Z. There is nothing but footwork now. And that means we got to get on the phones. 
We got to talk to people. We got to Zoom. We got to Facebook. We got to learn social media. We got to learn new platforms outside of even Zoom, StreamYard, all kinds of things. How do we interact? All these platforms that are out now, virtual platforms, even how to do conference, how you think the convention was done. So we, so you got to think outside the box. And God has, 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 has allowed a virus so that these leaders can get out in front. Who do you think is running these virtual platforms, the graphics, putting all this stuff together from church to convention? Who do you think are doing it? It's not us who are traditional stuck in our ways and don't even know how to log off Facebook. <laughs> well, I... I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a shameful plug. I'm gonna make a shameful plug because this is what Remnant Fellowship was called into existence for. So there it is. I ain't go. I'm not gonna go no further. I'm just gonna say that, right, Josh? That's what we do. What you're talking about is what we do. But let me ask you something here, uh, Matt. Uh, got a question for you, and give me your give me your best answer. All right? Don't give me what you think. Give me your best answer. Is the black church? You said, don't give me what you think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the black church too entangled in politics? That's that word again, entangled. Um. In politics, yes, in many ways, even the uh, politics within black churches. But if we're talking about just like politics, Democrats, Republicans, yeah. sure. Yeah. When it's talking about actual policy change and making a difference, they're obviously not involved enough. Um, and I just want to just circle back around because, quite frankly, I don't have any evidence uh, right now to let me know that casting a vote for Biden is worth my time. Um, and that's just to be very frank with you, because let me tell you what I saw in his interview with Charlamagne on The Breakfast Club. It was plenty disturbing to me, even before he said that you ain't black, honey. There were several times where Charlemagne was asking him to talk about meaningful policy changes. And as if he was the person on airplane, he was talking to him and Jack. And then so, like, let me tell you what the real translation was of when he said, well, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. What else are you niggas going to do? And I will substantiate that further. Um, for instance, if you wanted to unite a party, right, that had just went through a primary where it had been deeply divided, now you would probably get a candidate that reflected what that other half of the party like believed in if you wanted to coalesce it. But if you think that the votes are guaranteed because people don't have options, you go further to the middle. Or to somebody who's had a horrible rate when it comes to incarceration rates in California when you're looking at Kamala Harris. And then it's even better because you can make people as if they're being really liberal when it's a black woman's body putting away other black bodies. So let's be very real because I'm somebody who actually researches these things, okay? Now, the same thing happened with Tim Kaine. 
we it probably took you a second to realize who I was talking about. But the exact same thing happened four years ago. Right? So there's never, there are never concessions to the left. The concessions keep going further right because they think that they have all those votes hemmed up. Hillary Clinton. We gotta trouble the water. Somehow. But if I don't see any more evidence. So we don't vote because we ticked off and then we get four more years. I didn't say I wasn't gonna vote. <laughs> okay. Whew. should have as a as a group no matter the age is not before us now it's in the not yet but in this process we still have to make ready so that when the not yet arrives we're ready it's like passing the baton from one group of people to another. Sooner or later, we got a third leg. The third leg is always the slowest leg. 
But we got an anchor leg coming. And I can see it. I witness it. I understand it. I feel it. The thing that the thing that I'm concerned with um, as it relates to the black church, oftentimes our people takes the stand.